stand by. We'll be streaming live. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Atribulado pela ação de Satanás. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Clamando no escuro, correndo e olhando para trás. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. All right. I hope you're ready for another Bible study out of the book of James. And uh, by the way, be looking out for that email that comes every morning from MailChimp. The MailChimp email comes every morning at 9 o'clock to remind you to watch the Bible study. And because, uh, you know, life gets going and you forget. You know, you forget that 9 o'clock is suddenly there. You know, you're drinking your cup of coffee and thinking about your day, and the email comes and says, you got to get the Word for 30 minutes real quick. And I know some of you, your schedule doesn't allow 9 a.m., and that's why we have them available on podcast, and you can go watch it later. But uh, look out for the email and, and look forward to seeing you at 9 a.m. every morning. For a Bible study, we've been going through the book of James, and this morning we're doing James chapter 1, verse 12. Now, James 1, 12, it's, it's in the middle of this concept of James encouraging the church that, that they are going through, some, going through some trials. They're going through some trials in, in their walk with Christ right now. Uh, if you remember, James... He was the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus. And one of those family members that stood outside and thought Jesus was crazy, you know. And when, when people were accusing him of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. I don't know if you remember that story from the Gospels. And his family, and the, the, the crowds were gathered around Peter's house to hear Jesus, but his family stood outside and they were trying to get him to come out because they thought he had lost his mind. They thought he was crazy. And so James may have been a part of that. If he wasn't actually there in that incident, uh, you know, uh, he, he would have been in that environment of doubt within the family, like, what's going on with our brother Jesus? You know, just not really understanding. But James comes to know the Lord and actually he sees Jesus go to the cross and then it says that he witnessed, uh, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus appeared to James, his brother James. And so his brother James saw him, saw his half-brother Jesus alive after he was crucified and dead and buried. He saw him. Oh, that changed him. Man, James was a new man after that. And so he witnessed this concept 
of the Lord of glory going through trials and then <clears throat> receiving a blessing afterwards. He, had, he watched as his half-brother Jesus trusted in the God the Father to deliver him from death. And it happened. And so James said, Whoa! This changes everything I thought I knew about life. Everything I thought I knew about God. Everything I thought I knew about the Messiah. Everything I thought I knew about what it meant to live a life for God. And so, he comes to terms in his own life where he says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation or trials or testing of your faith. <clears throat> right? He's, he's, he's referring back to uh, verses 2 and 3. Blessed is the person, man and woman, who endures temptation or testing. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them who love him. Let's pray. God, this morning, we come and we say that we love You. And we want the crown of life. And James is trying to encourage us to think about what it means to be tested and tried in our faith. Help us this morning, God, to have an understanding of this that will help us. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, the question, a couple questions this morning. One, do you want to be blessed? Do you want to be blessed? Do you want God to bless your life? Now, most people, even people who aren't very religious, if you ask them that question, they'll say, yeah, sure. Now, it's true that some people will say no. <laughs> you ever had that before? You ask somebody, you want God to bless your life? Say, no, I don't like God. I'm mad at God. God didn't do what I thought He was supposed to do, and so I'm mad at God. I don't want anything to do with God. You know, I mean, you meet, there's people out there that say it. No, I don't, want, I don't want anything from God. I don't like God. I'm mad at God. Get God away from me. There's people out Sure, we meet them here through the ministry sometimes and just life. And it is sad, you know, uh, uh, life deals you a bad hand, and you and you get mad at God about it, and you got to direct your anger somewhere, right? You know, and the people who did you wrong aren't there, so you get mad at God or whatever. You know, however it works out, every situation is unique. But but uh, I want I want you to know that God is good. God is good, and God will bless your life. But see, the blessing doesn't come the way we think it should, or based on some sort of worldly wisdom, a worldly understanding of what it means to live a blessed life. You see, this world has the idea that to live a blessed life means that, that you, you, you have all the money you need, plus more, that, uh, that, that you have uh, the perfect job, and, the, uh, and you have no cares, no worries, nothing's troubling you, you know, you, you seem to just be able to float through life with, with no problems. Right? And that's, the, that's sort of the idealistic blessed life. The American dream, you know, you get a good education and a good job and a house and you just mow your lawn and everybody leaves you alone. <laughs> right? 
Let me have my private property. Let me have my lawnmower. And everybody leave me alone. Man, there's a guy that, uh, there's a, there's a, uh, at the end of my neighborhood, the main street, uh, there's several lots that aren't developed yet. And I guess the builders ran out of money years ago. And, and, uh, but they finally put up signs they're going to build. But, but down at the very end, there was a lot where somebody, somebody built the lot, built the house there. I guess they bought the lot that built the house. And man, that, that guy wants everybody to stay away from his private property. You don't want to have anything to do with anybody else. <laughs> I got my my house. I got my little lot. I got life set up the way I want, and I don't want anybody to interfere with my life. And James says the exact opposite. Hey, actually, the whole Bible says the whole opposite. That to live a blessed life means you got to go through some trials for Jesus. Oh, man, how are you going to do a Bible study on that? Everybody just turned off the TV. Nobody wants to hear that, right? Nobody wants to hear that unless you're going through the trial and you're wondering if it means anything. Then, now you want to hear it. Oh, I need a little sip of caffeine there. So, now before I go any further, I want to say that Jesus endured the greatest trial of of anybody. So, our leader Jesus has not done anything that he was not willing to do himself. So before you start going down this, you know, it's not fair concept, Jesus went before us to endure the greatest trial. And then he was blessed as he submitted to the will of the Father, endured the test, endured Caiaphas' house when he was beaten, when the crown of thorns was put on his head, when he was disfigured, when he had the 40 lashes, minus one, when he, when he had to carry the beam up onto the cross of Calvary and he hung on that cross and gave his last breath, willingly submitting to the Father, he endured the greatest trial. So he's not asking us to do anything he hasn't done himself. And what the Scriptures say is that there's a blessing at the end of it. If you go to Philippians chapter 2, very famous passage, right? Okay? And I'll start with uh, verse 7 of chapter 2 of Philippians. Just to sort of give you this concept of that Jesus has, has endured Himself. Made Himself of no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Made like us. Talking about the incarnation. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Okay? So he endured. He submitted to it. So what happened after Jesus went through the testing? Wherefore God has highly exalted him. Now if Jesus, if Jesus hadn't Submitted to the test, he wouldn't have been able to be exalted. God highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Woo! 
Don't tell me there's not a blessing after you go through the trial. Now, when we talk about trials, I want to make sure you understand, we're talking about testing of your faith, standing up for Jesus. This is not, <laughs> you made a bunch of bad choices in your life, and now you're paying the consequences. <laughs> I've met some people who try to, try to, you know, take their circumstance that they created themselves and they say, well, I'm just going, I, I have to endure this for God. No, 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 that's, that's not what we're talking about at all here. <laughs> Jason's over there smiling. Because you meet people like that, you know, they, they did a, they made a bunch of foolish decisions and now they're paying the consequences. But they found God along the way and so they're saying, well, I guess I'm just, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just going through the trial for God. No, you gotta, you, you just, you're just paying, you're just paying for, for back then. You know, all the sins are forgiven, but sometimes the consequences, uh, will continue. Uh, but there's grace in that as well, and the Lord will help you overcome that. Now, what we're talking about is, this is a testing of your faith that has to do with, you stand for Jesus and the cross. You stand for the fact that there's only one way to the Father in a world that says that you can get to God any way you want. In a world that says that you can redefine sin. <clears throat> and you can call things that the Bible says <coughs> are sins, and you can say they're not sins, they're actually really good. God likes them now. He's changed his mind. Oh, man. In a world that thinks that way, you decide, no, a man is a man. I'm just going to say it. You say, no, I'm going to believe the Bible. A man is a man, and a woman is a woman. And that's not to say that uh, people who struggle with that are more evil or worse than other, people, other sins. No, no, that's not what we're saying. But to set a precedent that we're going to redefine sin and, and redefine God's creation, no, we're putting ourselves in the driver's seat. We're making ourselves out to be our own gods. Man, we're in trouble. So in a world that thinks that way and that creates all these all these ideas that you can be who you want to be and God and it's okay with God and you can get to God any way you want and you got to say no, that's not in the Bible. And the the, the Bible says that that uh that when you sin against God, there's got to be a substitute that, that when you sin, there's got to be a, a sacrifice because God hates sin. We can't redefine sin. We've got to come to the place where we're convicted that God hates sin. It doesn't hate me, but hates the sin inside of me. And so it's, it, it's not that we have to redefine what sin is. It's that I have to change. <laughs> and that's, that's really what it comes to, right? We don't, want to, we don't want to change. We're not willing to bow ourselves to... God, okay, I got off on a little track there, but I'm establishing the concept that we are suffering, or try, our faith is being tried and tested because we're standing up for Jesus. We're standing for the cross. We're standing for uh, the fact that the Bible is true and accurate in all that it's trying to tell us by the Holy Spirit. We're standing up for the fact that God released the power of the Holy Spirit and it's still active today. And, and we are not cessationists. Whoa. 
<clears throat> yeah, I said it. The Holy Spirit is not dead. It's alive and well in the church. So that's the kind of trying, testing that we're talking about. Okay. Now, anybody who stands for Jesus in this world is going to be tried or tested in some way. Nobody is exempt from this. Now, some are tested uh, probably uh, tougher than others. Okay? But I want to say to you this, that our ability to endure the test is not based upon our own willpower or our own human strength because the, the, amount, the amount of grace that God gives to endure will, uh, will be equal to the test. Okay? Let me say that again. See, it's, it's, so, so we, can't, we, we can't measure ourselves based on our, you know, our own judgment and, you know, and say, you know, I'm, I'm tested more than this person. Because so, it's really not about, you know, our ability in our own human strength to overcome uh, this test, which is this strong, and this test, this is this strong. And then, then, because then we're starting to measure ourselves based on our own understanding and our own wisdom and what we think about it. No, because, see, it's all about the grace that God gives you to endure the level of testing that you're put through during this lifetime. And the grace that God gives will be enough for whatever the test is. And I, and I hope I'm making that clear. And, and so that way, it's really all about God empowering us by the Holy Spirit to endure the test. It's not about us trying to muster up our own willpower and strength to overcome the test and say, okay, I got through that test, so now let me just crank it up a little bit more and then I can get through the next one. No, that's, 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 that's human effort. That's, that's, what we, that's what we do to, like, you know, uh, climb the corporate ladder and, you know, all that stuff. That's, that's, we're not trying to climb the ladder to heaven. No. Okay, so we submit to, to the Lord and, and wait upon Him. I mean, that's why James is talking about patience. You know, you wait upon the Lord and, and He comes and He gives you grace to endure. So, it, as we endure the testing, okay, we receive the crown of life. <clears throat> so, anybody who goes through a test, a trial, will receive a crown of life. Now, the Bible talks about five crowns. Okay? And we're not gonna, we're not gonna do a, Bible study on the five crowns, but I'll just list them out for you real quick, okay? The first one is the crown of life, okay, which is mentioned here and also in Revelation chapter 2. We'll go look at that. The incorruptible crown, which is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 9.25 by Paul. The crown of righteousness, which is mentioned in 2 Timothy 4.8, okay, by Paul again. Then we talk about the crown of rejoicing, <clears throat> um, which is found mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 2.19 and Philippians 4.1. Okay? And that's in reference to people who, to evangelists, people who, who spread, the, spread the gospel. So each one, each of these crowns is listed within a certain context of, and, and it's sort of like a, the concept of being rewarded for, for, what you stand for in this lifetime. And, and the Bible says that 
there will be rewards. And, you know, I don't think I'm going to be up there worried about if I get more rewards than, you know, Jason or Emily, you know. But but the Bible says there's going to be rewards. By the way, they both get more than me already. Anyway, so it doesn't matter. But when you go through the testing, when you go through the trial, James says you'll get a crown of life. Now, it's also mentioned in Revelation 2.10, so we're just going to look at that real quick. By the way, this is, uh, this is a good little uh, concept to think about for the trip to Turkey on the seven churches of Revelation. Eight, 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 eight. All right. So, um, so John says to the church in Smyrna, Revelation two ten, fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Once see, once again, he's referring to the trial, the the, the testing. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. And you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Now, Jesus received the crown of life himself because he was faithful unto death. He endured the trial. And many think that the crown of life is only given to those who suffer unto death. Uh, because of the revelation passage, James doesn't necessarily mention, though, that the, the testing is unto death. So there's, you know, uh, you just kind of have to look at that yourself and decide what you think. Um, but uh, but there is a crown, there is a reward as we go through the testing. And the testing of your faith is is something that, as you go through it, it forges in you not not a dependency on your own strength, but a dependency on who your God is, so that on the other side of the faith, you could be more useful for the kingdom with the rest of the time that's given you. Let me say that again. Because listen, we need in the church today, in the worldwide church, in the American church, we need in the church people who have been tested and tried and will not bend to the pressure that is coming from within the church and from outside the church. It's coming from everywhere. And so the days of being a nominal passive Christian are over in America. Okay? Let me say that again. The days of being a passive Christian are just over. We cannot think that way anymore. Because, you know, it, it's no longer that, that it's just assumed you go to church on Sunday morning and you go to Wednesday night supper and you do your little Bible study and, and nobody's going to bother you. The, the church is having to make decisions and people are having to make decisions about where they stand. In other words, they're being forced to be active, to decide who they are. There's no sitting on the fence. There's no, there's no just going to church on every Sunday morning and, uh, and just assuming that, you know, everything's hunky-dory. You've got to make a decision about the Bible, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about who you are. Do you believe heaven is real? Do you believe that the cross 
really saves you or not? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father? Do you believe do you believe that there was a real flood? You know? You gotta decide that. People are gonna come at you from all kinds of angles. They're, we got a we got a picture downstairs of a of Jonah sitting in a whale. Man, people have been trying to cast doubt on the Jonah whale thing forever. I'm tired of it. Jonah got swallowed by a whale and spit up on the shore. I've decided. Done. Moving on. I don't care what you think of me. I'm crazy. I'm a fool. Whatever. So you got to have a crown of... you got to be looking for that crown of life. Because, see, when you're in the middle of the trial, you begin to think that it, it it's for nothing. You begin to think that it's uh, it's pointless, it's useless, and you want to give up. Right? But James says you can't give up. You can't give up. we got to have people in this world who have been forged by the fire of trial so that you can be really useful in this world for the kingdom of God because there's people who are dying and they're not going to respond to a weak, wimpy, you know, sort of, uh, you know, would you like to try Jesus? He might be okay. If you don't like Him, it's fine. No! They, they need to hear it. Look, I know you have a different opinion, but I want you to know that when you die, you're going to stand before God and you're going to have to answer for it. Are you ready for that? And they, and they, might, look, they might cuss you out. And that's fine, but you know you don't say that to everybody. I know that. Come on. But I mean, we need people who are not afraid to look like a fool. We need people who are not afraid to be ridiculed. We need Christians who are not afraid to stand for the cross. We need Christians who are not afraid to look somebody in the eye and say, I stand for Jesus. What do you stand for? You stand for everything? Well, that's the same as standing for nothing. We need people who are able to do that in love. And I, I'm, I know I'm all fired up and worked up. I don't know why. Maybe it's the coffee. But, uh, you know, we need people who are, who, who are strong in the faith, strong in the Lord, been tested by fire and aren't going to back down when, when they're really, when they're challenged. Okay. And it says that the Lord has promised to them who love Him. Okay, now, now let's look at that concept at, at the last five minutes okay because the last thing that we need are uh, sort of uh, Christians who approach uh, life and evangelism and politics with a militant attitude that puts people down and is so harsh and crass that people don't are not ex- not being offered the love of God. Now, there's been a lot of this God is love stuff, and so there's sort of this pushback to, we can't be that way anymore, we've got to be a little more tougher on sin. Okay, but if we go too far on that side, then the love of God and our love for God gets lost, and people just look at us and think that we're a bunch of mad, angry Christians. And so, James is saying here, you know, You've got to remember your love for God. You're doing this because you love God and you love others. Really, that's, a, that's the, the whole book of James is based off of those two commandments. He mentions one of them. He mentions the, you know, the commandment love for others later, in the, in, in a few verses later in the book. 
that he's talking about loving others and loving God. I mean, you know he heard Jesus. You know he was standing there kind of kind of on the side, maybe hiding behind somebody listening, you know. I, I, I believe firmly that Jesus didn't preach the Sermon on the Mount just one time. He didn't say what the greatest commandment was just one time. He, over a period of three years, he repeated these teachings multiple times in various places. You know, just like a preacher, just like an itinerant preacher would, would use different sermons various times, you know, as he travels around. Jesus did the same thing. So James, James would have heard this, you know, not just one time he heard, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments. Law and the prophets hang on these. You know, he heard that. And that began to form in his mind and say, man, the love of God has really got to be a priority in my life because if it's not, then, uh, then I'm lost. Then I'm, 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 I'm committing myself to just ideology. I'm not committing myself to a person. No, I'm committing myself to a living being. And so i got to have love of God in my heart. God, I've I got to confess to you, I don't really know what it means to love you, but... I ask that you help me to do it because I don't have if I don't have a pure love of God in my heart, then I'm not going to be approaching this the right way. So help me, God. And so James here says that. The Lord has promised to them who love Him. If we truly love Him, we will truly keep His commandments, which we can do with the help of the Holy Spirit, who requires that our faith ever rest in the cross. And so if you love God then there's going to be a desire, a willingness to live for God. Let me say that again. If you love God, then there's going to be a desire and a willingness to live for God. And now before you start getting all wrapped up in yourself of, you know, I guess I don't love God enough and start judging yourself and trying to measure up how much you love God compared to how much you loved Him yesterday, now just stop it. Okay, the love of he says right here uh, the the Bible our, our Bible here the Expositor's Bible says it's it's a ministry of the Holy Spirit it's a ministry of the Holy Spirit within each of us that teaches us what it means to love God and so it's sort of this both and whereas we submit to the Holy Spirit we overcome and then we submit again and we overcome and then. We struggle and we take a step back, but then we submit again and we overcome. And, and, and you know, so so it's sort of a progressive thing that as, as we go through life, you know, God is going to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, teach us what it means to love Him. And the more we love Him, the more we'll be willing to undergo the trial, to undergo the testing. I want you to know that God loves you very much. God really cares about you. God is not indifferent to whatever you're going through. God is not somehow sitting on the sideline and, you know, just helping everybody else and just leaving you alone. God is at work in your situation. God, it takes faith to believe that when you don't see a change yet. When you're still in the middle of the trial, when you haven't seen the circumstance change, it takes faith to believe that. 
And that's where the Word, we have to go back to the Word and we have to remind ourselves that, that, that our faith can't be based on our circumstances. It has to be based on who the Scriptures say God, our God is. Let me say that again. Our faith cannot be based on our circumstances and what we see in front of us. Our faith has got to be based on who, we, who, who the Scriptures say God is. And as we read the Scriptures and we know the Lord, man, the love of God grows in our hearts. If we look at our circumstance too much, then we begin to doubt God. And the love, in our, the love for God in our hearts begins to waver because we begin to doubt God's goodness and His intentions towards us. So I want to encourage you this morning that whatever you're going through, that you not be down and that you not <clears throat> think that God doesn't care. Know that the Lord of glory sees you and He's uplifting you and upholding you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to win. Stay on your knees. By the way, <laughs> by the way, James, the Apostle James who wrote this book came to be known, he was called James the Just, but he was also known as, uh, as Old Camel Knees. Okay? He was known as Old Camel Knees because, because they said that he, he, he prayed on his knees so much that, that his knees got all callous. And so he is known as Old Camel's Knees. <laughs> well, my knees aren't callous like Apostle James yet, but maybe they will be in the next 10 to 20 years. Maybe, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to be somebody who goes after the Lord with all my heart. And I hope you are too. Hey, we'll see you tomorrow morning for another Bible study out of James. Y'all have a great day. The mill, the bed.